probably for about the last 12 years or so, uh, my brother and his son uh, come in town for Thanksgiving. And when they do, we always have a, uh, a football game after Thanksgiving dinner sometime. It's, it's the, the Butel family uh, football game. It's, I've got a s- school right behind my backyard. And, and it's always me and my son against my brother and his son. And then I've got two girls. So, you know, I'll keep one and the other one will go to my brother. And, uh, and, and we do this every, every year. It's, it's a tradition. And uh, three years ago, though, um, it, it, the, the tradition got changed up just a little bit because my future son-in-law, who's now my son-in-law, who's also playing the drums today, he was around that Thanksgiving. And, uh, and so how do you divide that up? He was all-time quarterback. And, uh, and so um, it was then Texas Butels against Alabama Butels. My brother, like me, is from New York, but he's since moved down to Alabama. And I- I'm just proud to say uh, the Texas Butels were kicking the butt of the Alabama Butels. And uh, we-, we were leading by, by a lot. I-, I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, but I think I had already had like three interceptions that, uh, that-, that day. I was kind of considering going pro. And, uh, and we were, we normally play up to a certain score and then, then the game's over. And we were, I think my son and I and whichever daughter I had, uh, we, we, were, we were within like one touchdown of the, of the game being over. But my brother's team had the ball and, you know, Connor, my son-in-law was quarterbacking, uh, now son-in-law. And, uh, and, and he had already thrown three interceptions. I mean, he'll deny this. He, he was in early service and he was denying all of this, but I, I remember. Um, he, he had already thrown a, a few interceptions, and, and my brother was going deep, and I was covering my brother. Now, mind you, my brother's my older brother, and he just had a second hip replacement, but by that point, he had already had one, and he's already had a shoulder replaced. So he's not necessarily like the most mobile uh, person in, in the best shape, so I can cover him fairly well. And so um, I was covering him, and Connor threw a, a long pass, we, we did come to consensus on this after I told the story in, in early service. But he threw a long pass, but it wasn't one of those floaters. It was, it was a pretty, you know, hard, you know, line drive pass. But he severely underthrew it, uh, which he'll deny. Um, and I was in front of my brother, so I'm in the perfect position to get, like, my fourth interception of, of, of the day to just make Thanksgiving the best Thanksgiving ever. And, and as the ball was coming in, I was probably from, from here to the table. Uh, the ball was, let's say, where the table was. But the sun was starting to already kind of go down in the afternoon sky as it does in November. And, and like, about where the, the, the table is, I lost sight of the ball because it lined up perfectly with the sun. Now, no big deal normally, right? Your brain does the math. It knows where it's going to be when it gets here and so forth. Uh, but when, that, when the ball came to my hand, all of a sudden I just felt, felt this like immense pain, like, like immense pain. And, and like immediately I just grabbed my hand. I don't look at it. And you do what you do whenever you hurt your hand really bad, right? You put it between your legs and you squeeze hard, right? So I got my hand like this. I, I, I don't think I cussed. I'm just going to say, I don't think I cussed, but I, I got my hand, it's, it's pinched between my, my, you know, my, my thighs, my knees, whatever, um, it, immense pain. Eventually, the adrenaline kicks in, it doesn't hurt as bad, and then so you, uh, you go in a, and you look, and when I looked at my, um, my finger, it's like my fingernail was bleeding, and my like, finger was like in like, a weird shape. 
And so, like, game over, right? We're, we're, we're not going to finish. Um, and, uh, and so I went inside the house. I put ice on it and everything. And it wasn't getting any better. In fact, it was getting worse. I didn't want to go to the emergency room because it was Thanksgiving Day. Uh, but I went to the emergency room, got it x-rayed. And not only was it broke, but it was broke in two different places. And I'm um, like, no wonder it hurt so bad, Right. Uh, so they were like, you need to go see an orthopedic. So I went and saw an orthopedic. And when I saw the uh, orthopedic, he's like, man, that's a bad break. I'm like, okay, great. Thanks. What are we going to do about it? So he tries this like little splint thing and this other thing and whatever, because it was broken in two different places. And, you know, I came back and saw him and okay. And then I came back and saw him again. And by the time, second time I saw him, he's, he's just like, there's nothing more I can do. I'm sorry. It was just a bad break. And I'm like left with a finger that doesn't really even bend. And I'm like, seriously, that's it? And so then I go and see a different orthopedic. And the, that guy's like, who is your orthopedic? Why didn't he do surgery? He's like, yeah, we can do surgery on that. And, and, and I'm like, oh, great. All right, sounds good. And so uh, make the plans to have surgery. He's like, I'll try to fix both breaks at once. But if not, I'll do the first one. And then after that, I'll do the second one. And so I went in for surgery. And it was a seven-hour surgery to fix just one of the breaks. Like, I mean, people have their hearts replaced in less time than that. He had to take some bone from my wrist, rebuild the knuckle, and, and, and when it was done, this is what my finger looked like. You know, three pins. The, the, the other break is down there towards the tip of my finger. You see it kind of bends in. We ended up not doing that because, well, the seven-hour surgery, you couldn't get to both. Didn't really want to do surgery for the second. And frankly, it helps my tennis grip. So, uh, so when I came out of surgery, he was like, he was tickled to death. He's like, it, 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 you know, in his mind turned out really, really well. Um, and then like, after I went through all the physical therapy and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, he's about to release me. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I mean, this is what this finger does. All I got is like a wiggle here, right? That's what $100,000 in seven hours gets you. And it looks like, like a, a fat bent sausage, you know, if you, if you see my finger. And I'm, I'm like questioning, like, you're excited about this? And, and he's like, he said, fingers are extremely difficult. He said, um, we, we can't put them back together the way that the Almighty made them. And I thought that was somewhat interesting that he said that. And, and I was thinking about that that story and that conversation as I was working on the message this week, because last week I talked about creation. And when God created everything, it was very good. But what we're going to look at today is the fall. And through the fall, what is very good becomes not as good as what it was. And in the same way, after you break your finger, apparently you can't put it back together the way the Almighty put it together the first time. Once the world became broken through sin, there was no putting it back to the way that God had made it originally. So we're going to take a look at the fall this morning and the implications of it for our lives. And first, we're going to kind of, I want to refresh your memory of something that God did in creation uh, in Genesis 2, and then we're going to take a look at the fall in Genesis 3. Now, Genesis 2, 8 to 9 and 15 to 17. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in, in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed in it. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life, 
and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you, you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. And so God tells Adam and Eve they can eat of any tree in the garden except that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you know how it goes. Tell someone what they can't do. That's what they're going to do. And so ultimately, Adam and Eve eat of the tree, and here's the story of, of how and why they do. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you mustn't touch it because if you do, you'll die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye, it was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves." Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she's the one that gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I have commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. So Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living, and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man now has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out and he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. 
And so this is where sin enters the world. The world would forever be broken and tainted by sin. Before I kind of get into the application of this text, I don't know if a phrase caught your attention. It did mine as I was working on the text. But after Adam and Eve fell into sin, there's a phrase that says, the man has now become like one of us. Remember last week, I focused in on the phrase, let us. Let us create man in our own image. And I talked about who the us is, that it's either God talking about himself or to himself within the persons of the Trinity or God speaking to the, the heavenly realm, the angelic realm. Well, here we have just shortly after that, you know, after creating man in, his, in, 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 in their image, now we see, you know, man has become like us. And so the same is true, like either God's, you know, speaking within himself, uh, uh, within the three persons of the Trinity, but I prefer that God is speaking to the angelic realm, right? That certainly know the difference between good and evil, because Satan himself, one of the fallen angels, uh, was demonstrating what evil was to Adam and Eve. Let's take a look then at uh, maybe some applications we can make from this text this morning. And the first is this. So with the fall into sin, very good becomes pretty good. Now, how much of a difference is there between very good and pretty good? Well, it just depends. Um, today's Super Bowl Sunday, right? And hopefully, hopefully, the Chiefs will lose. But that aside... Let's take quarterbacks. What is the difference between a pretty good quarterback and a very good quarterback? What, what's the difference between the Chicago Bears quarterback? I said in early service, I don't even know who it is. And someone came up to afterwards, it's Justin Fields. I'm like, thanks a lot. Like, now I don't. But still, what, what's the difference between the quarterback of, of, of the Bears or the quarterback of the Falcons and the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. Chad, you missed my, my, did you hear that out there, Chad Engroff? You didn't, all right, he's, he's covering his face. But I am throwing a bone to your quarterback here. Well, the, the, the difference between a, 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 listen, if you're in the NFL, you're a good quarterback, but there's a huge difference between a pretty good quarterback and like a Patrick Mahomes. I'm gonna have to throw in a Josh Allen too, if you don't mind, all right? Th thanks, Chad. Appreciate you giving that to me. I mean, a huge difference, right? And that's a big reason why the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. So after the fall into sin, you don't have like all sudden creation stinking, going from very good to stink, but, but it goes from very good to pretty good. But, but there's a significant difference between very good and pretty good. And the change is immediate. Did you see what happened? Like instantaneously after they fell into sin, the first thing that they did is they realized they were naked. Now, first of all, listen, they were created perfectly. I mean, no one's been created as, as nicely as them. Was that that bad after all, right? I mean, was there anything to be embarrassed about? If Listen, if you had a perfect body, I mean, what would be the big deal if you realized you're naked? But they have a problem with it. So like, did Adam all of a sudden just get a beer belly like as soon as they fell into sin? 
what's going on here? I, I, I don't know, because all of a sudden, like, they're ashamed. And I think what happens with the fall into sin, we do what, what we all maybe have the, 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 the tendency to do. We begin to nitpick a little bit and, and see the negative in any situation. And maybe all of a sudden, they, they, they look at themselves and, and, and they think they look silly, or, or maybe they're starting to notice, like, like imperfections already at the time or whatever, and they become ashamed, and, and they're, they're ashamed of their nakedness, and immediately they go to close themselves. And we see it in their kids, too. What would have been interesting is if Adam and Eve had had a child before they fell into sin, how that would have worked if, if some children were without sin and some had sin. But that's not how it worked. Before they had any children, they fall into sin. And, and, and we see the, the results of the fall in their kids because uh, of two of their kids, there's uh, the, uh, an older kid by the name of Cain, and he was like a farmer. And then there's Abel, and he was a, like a herdsman, and they give an offering to the Lord. And so Cain gives some of the fruit of the field, and, and Abel gives one of, his, uh, one of his livestock as a sacrifice. And God looks upon favor with Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Now, before the fall, if that was to happen, what Cain would have done is he would have repented for it, but then he would have learned from his brother and said, you know what, I am going to do better next time. But we're after the fall, and what, what happens after the fall? Rather other than Cain wanting to learn and to grow from what his brother, his brother's example, he just decides to kill his brother. And you see now the effect that the fall is having on God's creation and humanity. How do you visualize it? I, I had a, an Old Testament professor in college that talked about how w with sin, it's kind of like, you know, everything just gets twisted a little bit, right? It's just twisted a little bit. It's no longer, it's no longer plumb. It's no longer square. I, I found this picture, and I, I think it kind of illustrates the point, too. In the foreground, think about that as being before the fall, Look at how beautiful, like, in focus that branch is. Like, the snow that is on that branch in the foreground, like, you can see basically every individual flake on it. That's kind of how God's creation was before the fall into sin. But then when you go to the background, you notice how it's, like, just blurred out, blurred out a little bit. It's still there. It's still nice. It's still good. But, but it's not as sharp. It's not as clear. It's just more distorted. And that's what the fall of sin does. It, it distorts God's creation. We see a curse on the woman, and, and, and this is kind of significant. We oftentimes think in the Garden of Eden there wasn't any pain. That's not true. God gave us feelings. He gave us senses. He gave us all these different things. And even pain serves a purpose, right? Like if you're touching something hot, you, you want to feel pain so you know to let go of it. So pain in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But we see an intensification of certain things as a result of fall into sin. To the woman, he says, I will greatly increase your pain and childbearing. So there's always going to be pain and childbearing. There's always going to be pain. But now the pain is going to be increased to a point that's almost unbearable. And then he says this of, of, of Eve. He says, your desire will be for your husband. Now, I, I don't know that that's part of the curse or the fall, but I know what comes next is, he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And that is a distortion of God's creation. It's the dysfunctionality being brought into that relationship between Adam and Eve, husband and wife. Now to the man, uh, the, the curse is, is, is having to do with work. 
in the ground and, and like work was always going to be difficult, but, but now it's going to be extremely difficult. By the sweat of his brow, he's going to eat. It's kind of like when you plant a garden. If you're like me, I can grow more weeds in my garden than I can plants, right? The ground is just always working against you. You know, people always complain about work. And what I like to tell them is like, it's called work for a reason, right? But if you hate your job, you need to blame Adam and Eve because work became really bad as a result of the fall. With the fall, everything becomes just a little less perfect. Relationships become messy. They become complicated. Jealousy will creep in. Envy will creep in. Hurt feelings, misunderstandings. Does anyone ever have misunderstandings in their relationships? All a result of the fall. Life becomes just a little less satisfying. The environment begins to work against us. You know, the environment gives us allergies where the environment's like inflaming our bodies. Maybe we get asthma. Our bodies itself will break down. We get headaches, high blood pressure, illness, disease, heart attacks, cancer, and all those different things. In fact, everything that is created uh, basically ultimately breaks down, right? Uh, you, you, you build a road, and over a period of time, that road is going to start to crumble. You build a house. Over time, that house is going to start falling apart, especially if it's not cared for. You buy a car. Eventually, that car is going to wear out. You have a human being. Eventually, they're going to get old and die. Everything in all creation is in the process of breaking down and dying. And that's the thing that's so interesting and counterintuitive and doesn't make sense about evolution because evolution's like everything's getting better. No, that's not how it works. Everything is in a process of disintegrating, falling apart, and dying. Everything in the universe. Why? Because of the fall. For the men out there, maybe if you need a, if that picture of the, the pretty little snow on the branch didn't work for you in terms of explaining the effects of the fall, uh, let me explain it another way. Before the fall, you didn't need duct tape and a hammer, right? Because if you're a guy, and maybe even some of the girls out there, you know that duct tape and a hammer fixes about anything that you have that goes wrong around the house. After the fall, we need duct tape and hammers. You know, there's a story of two trees in the fall of mankind. One of the trees is called the tree of life, and the other is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is, is the key to mankind's immortality. As food sustains the body, this tree of life that was in the center of the garden is what allowed mankind to live forever. It's, it's honestly, as I thought about it, it's, it's, it's an early example, maybe the first example really, other than creation itself of God's grace. What we see in grace is that like, that we're saved by grace through faith. That is, we're saved through the work of Jesus Christ. All what God does, we don't do anything ourselves, but through him we have eternal life. They didn't build a tree. I mean, they didn't plant the tree. They didn't water it. They didn't make it grow, but it's God's gift to them. He offers them to eat of it, and if they eat of it, they're going to live. 
You know, we oftentimes think that God created mankind to live forever. He sort of did, but that's not something that comes from mankind itself. That, that eternal life, that's not anything we possess. That's something that God gives. In the New Testament, it's from the, you know, it speaks about the river of life that, 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 that causes things to live forever. Here it is, this tree of life. It's a gift that comes from God because after man falls into sin, what happens is God has to to put the, the cherubim so that they can't, mankind can no longer access the tree of life so that after they fall into sin, that they would not live forever. Which leads us to the other tree that's mentioned here in the text, and that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let's just call it what it is. It's a tree of death. That Adam and Eve had two choices, right? In the middle of the garden, you can eat of this tree of life or you can eat of the tree of death. And they're told they can eat of any tree, including the tree of life, but you're not allowed to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I mentioned last week that a lot of us think that, like, that somehow Satan planted that tree. Like, that, that, that's an evil tree. That's a bad tree. No, God put it there. It's part of his creation being very good. If it, if it wasn't there, his creation wouldn't be very good. Why? Because it was, it was a tree of, of obedience. Like, are you going to obey me, you know, God's saying, or, or are you going to disobey me? It's like an altar of worship. Through our obedience, we worship God. And then ultimately, that tree also makes God's creation perfect in a sense of this, that without it, we would have no way to have ever rejected God. So almost like then we would have been robots, but with flesh. But it's through that obedience where we had the ability to reject him. It was by not rejecting him that we worshiped him, but instead Adam and Eve rejected him. Another thing that we need to pull out of this text is this, is Satan is a liar, but in all good lies, there's, there's a little bit of truth. In fact, not only is Satan a liar, Scripture says that he is the father of all lies. Satan is a supreme, great, amazing liar. But notice what he does. He speaks truth, and he mixes it with, with non-truth, and that's what makes him such a good liar. What does he say? He says, Listen, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil is because you will become like God. You will know good from evil. And you know what? He was right. God didn't tell Adam and Eve that. He just said, don't eat the tree. That's all he needed to tell them because it was about obedience. But, but what Satan told Adam and Eve was absolutely true, that they would become more like God knowing the difference between good and evil. Look at Genesis 3.22. And the Lord God said, the man has now what? become like one of us, knowing good from evil. So what Satan promised him, Adam and Eve, is true. Now he mixed that with some falsity, and he said, oh, God said you're going to die, you're not going to die. But even in that, there's, there, there's a little bit of truth that he puts in there, because they didn't die immediately, did they? They didn't die for, like, you know, they're banished from the tree of life, and, you know, they lived, you know, 750, 850, I, they lived a long time, 800 plus years. So they eventually died, but they didn't immediately die. So here's where Satan just takes truth and he mixes it with, with a false reality. And that's what makes him so incredibly effective in his lies. We need to hear that. 
Because when Satan's gonna come after you and he's gonna come after me, that's exactly how he's gonna do it. He's gonna put an element of truth in there because if he doesn't, then you're not gonna fall for it. He's gonna say things like this to you. You know what, you're smart and you might be really smart. So you don't have to listen to other people's advice. You see, the smart might be the truth part. To not listen to other people's advice, that's just stupid. But you mix the two of those together and it's like, hmm, I think you're right. He's gonna say things like, you know, you're a sinner, which you are, and God will never forgive you, which is a lie. But once again, you know you're a sinner and you feel guilt about that, and so then you want to try to bleed the other part of it. He's going to say things like, you know what, you're miserable and it's everyone else's fault. And you know what, you might be miserable, but I doubt it's because of everyone else. To the unhappy that are, that are married, he's going to say, you know, you're unhappy and you're married, all your problems would be better if you were just single. To the single person that's, that's unhappy, you know, you're unhappy and you're single, oh, if j- just find someone, if you just get married, that's going to solve all your problems. You see how he just mixes truth in falsity and in reality and in non-reality, he'll say things like, you know what, God is love. So just do whatever makes you feel best. In fact, God is love, but no, that doesn't mean we do whatever's best. We have to be on a guard for Satan because he's always gonna take an element of truth as he's trying to cause us to stumble and fall and he's gonna take it to an improper conclusion. Another thing that's worth mentioning about this text is, is this punishment that God gives Adam and Eve. In fact, I would say punishment equals love. You know, when we read this, it seems like God's being a little unreasonable here. These are, this is God's creation. These are his children. Why is he going to kill his kids for messing up? I mean, our kids mess up all the time. Maybe we say, you know, I want to kill you, but we don't want to kill our kids. We don't kill our kids when they mess up. Why would God do something like this? You know, if God is love, why does he give death to his, to his children? Because when they fell into sin, Adam and Eve became spiritually separated from God. And if God had not removed them from the tree of life, then there was no reason for them to turn back to God. If God had not removed them from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in a living hell because hell is to be in the absence of God. And so it's actually a loving thing that God forces them to die because it's with the threat of death that then they turn back to God. And then ultimately God restores the relationship. Scripture says God punishes those he loves. He has to punish Adam and Eve. He has to punish them with death or they will never come back to him. And that's how he shows his love. Do you know how else he shows his love? Even though God takes away the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, he gives a new tree of life in the New Testament. You see, the new tree of life is placed on a hill called Calvary. And the tree that was planted was a cross. And you see, Adam and Eve had access to the perfect fruit on the tree of life that was going to give them life as long as they eat of it. But whoever eats of the fruit of the tree of life in the New Testament and planted in the hill of Calvary, they will have eternal life. Look at what Jesus says in John 6, 54, chapter 6, verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
That's the tree of life. How do we eat his flesh? How do we drink his blood? Jesus says in the Lord's Supper, this is my body and this is my blood. You see, in the Old Testament, we had access, Adam and Eve did at least, to the tree of life and eating that fruit gave them eternal life. God takes that away so that they'll turn back to him, but then he gives us another one that we can all eat of. That whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood has the eternal life that Adam and Eve lost. The last point that I want to make about the the text this morning is this. Um, Several years ago, a few years ago, I don't know, as I was reading through the Bible, a phrase jumped out at me from from the text, uh, from Genesis 4, 22 to 24. It says, And the Lord God said, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, He must be not allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out. He placed him on the east side of the garden of Eden, or he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You know, when I read this several years ago, I thought, wow, that would make a good book, like East of Eden. Now, apparently there is a book called East of Eden. Never read it, not sure what it's about. But if I wrote my book, this is what it would be about. And and before I say it, let me say this. There may be a footnote in your translation. I hear some of you flipping through your Bibles. Uh, There's a little footnote on east of Eden or on uh, putting the cherubim on the east side of Eden because it can also be translated, he put the cherubim in front of the garden. But most translations say east, uh, uh, you know, on the east side of Eden. So I'm going to go with that because I like that imagery east of Eden. They put the cherubim, God put the cherubim on the east side of Eden because presumably man would have been further east than that. It was to keep them from coming back in the garden. And as we sit here today, all of us are living on the east side of Eden. Mankind was kicked out of Eden and we're all living on the east side of Eden. And east of Eden People think they know better than God. In in east side of Eden, life is way more difficult. If you're east of Eden, life is dysfunctional. We can't live in Eden anymore because of our sin. But here's my question is, how far east of Eden are are you living? We're all going to be east of it, but, but are you just a block or two from Eden? Or are you about a three days drive from Eden? Because I would argue this, the farther that you are from Eden, the more pain, the more dysfunction, the more trouble that you're going to have in your life, the further that you are away from Eden. You see, in Eden, pain is tolerable. Remember, pain is just a natural part of creation. But if you're living like a three days drive from Eden, then the pain that you're experiencing in your life is probably intolerable. And I'm telling you, we've all probably been there at a different point in our lives where we felt so distant from God, so, so far away from, from our faith and, 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 and where we were raised or whatever, that, that the pain in our lives were all, cons- all consuming. 
you know, in Eden, there aren't bad days. But if you get way east of Eden, there aren't going to probably be any good days. And wherever you are in between, right? If you're like halfway in between, maybe there's some good, some bad. If you're just a block or two from Eden, you probably have a lot of good days. But way east of Eden, there's probably none. In Eden, there was no sorrow. But I'm here to tell you, if you're way east of Eden, you may find very low joy in your life. I think you get my point, right? We can't live in Eden anymore, but, but we can live in a proximity to it. And so are you right next to Eden? Are you halfway there? Or are you like, once again, a three days drive? And if you are like way over here, then what are you going to do about it? Because I'd encourage you, it's time to pack up and move closer to Eden. And, and you might be sitting there thinking, great, I'd love to. I, I find very little joy in my life. I'm miserable. I'm all these other things. How do I get there? What is the way? Well, I'll tell you this. Jesus is the way, right? Scripture says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When we come to know Jesus, when we know his word, when, when we take up our cross and follow him, when, when, when we obey his commands, uh, th then that, that moves us in the direction of Eden. Scripture says that, 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 that God's word is a, a lamp unto our feet. It's a light into our path. Where do you think that path of God's word takes us? It takes us closer to Eden. We will never be able to go into Eden, not, not on this side of, of eternity, right? When, when Jesus returns, when we're made new, we will be back in an Eden-type environment again. But until then, we can't get in Eden, but we can get a whole lot closer. How do you move closer to Eden? Well, maybe you have to develop a new attitude. You know, I said, what was it about Adam and Eve that all of a sudden they were just ashamed of their nakedness? And I said, you know what? They probably started focusing on the negative. Maybe you're one of those people. Like, you can't see the good in your life. You can't see the blessings that you have. And you're always just kind of looking at, 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 at what's wrong. How about you turn that around and you see what God's given you versus always focusing on what you don't have? What if we learn the secret of being content? To being content, how much closer would we be to Eden? Maybe it's time that we take a look at our friend group and we do some weeding out of our friend group. Maybe we learn to follow in faith and, and following in faith is not something easy to do, right? It can be extremely difficult to do, but rather than living in fear, we learn to follow in faith. Maybe we just read our Bible a little bit more regularly. Or how about we work on the changes that we know that we all need to make within ourselves? All of these things will move us closer to Eden. You know, moving closer to Eden, moving next door to Eden doesn't mean that your life is going to be all rainbows and lollipops and sunshine, not at all. Sometimes the closer we are to God, uh, the, the, the more trials and persecutions we're going to face. But I can promise you this, you're going to have a sense of peace and a sense of purpose and a sense of contentment that you will not have way down far east of Eden. The closer you get to Eden, the more peace, purpose, and contentment you'll have. Now, I want to warn you this. Maybe some of you are really hearing this message, and you know what? You're thinking, you know what? I need to make some changes, and, and I'm, I'm going to load up the moving van. I'm going to make some changes in my life. I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm, I'm going to start looking positive on life and all these different things. And, and you're moving stuff into that van because you're going to move closer to Eden. I can assure you this. If you do, you're going to get about a mile up the road, and you're going to get a flat tire because Satan's going to give you that flat tire. 
And remember, he's the father of all lies. Not only is he going to give you the flat tire, he's going to cause you to think you have the flat tire because that's not what you're supposed to do anyways. I don't know where all of us are at this morning, but I encourage all of us, whether you're way far from Eden or closer to Eden, let us all move closer to Eden. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for your word this morning to be able to come and to hear the story of the fall of, into sin. We thank you, gracious God, that you removed the tree of life in the garden so that as mankind we would turn back to you. We thank you, gracious God, for the new tree of life that you gave us, that Jesus died on. And we thank you, gracious God, that uh, through him uh, we now have eternity in, in, again, that we will live forever with you in heaven. I just pray, gracious God, for all of us that are in here this morning, I don't know where we're at. Some of us may feel really in a bad place, but I pray that wherever we're at and whatever's going on, merciful God, uh, protect us from the lies of Satan, who's always seeking to trip us up, and help us, gracious God, to make those changes in our lives so that we uh, would move closer to Eden, and uh, in so doing, feel that, uh, that sense of peace and that sense of uh, contentment and purpose that only comes through you. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.